Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Tony Stark is taking names in Asia, Disney and Lucasfilm may soon be made in China, Ip Man gets some heavy metal, and we talk about the film's drug war and Iron Man 3. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, May 1st, May Day, uh, 2013. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me, as always, from his secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. Well, happy, happy, uh, happy May Day. Yeah, happy Labor Day. And we are on a sort of a Labor Day holiday here. Although I think I ended up working more today than I do on a normal day. Maybe wow. that's why they call it Labor Day, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, has, have you done anything today on this uh, this day off that we've had? Yeah, I mean, I, I slept in a little bit um, and uh, went to the gym because I haven't gone for a while. Uh, and uh, I went to watch uh, Iron Man, the film we're talking about today. Oh, all right. Excellent. So it's still fresh in your mind. Yes. Um, so yes, we are going to be talking about that, and we're going to be talking about a, an East Screen film, uh, Johnny Toe's Drug War. Um, so some pretty exciting films to talk about. Uh, I, I, are we? I mean, these are are these considered summer films at all? Especially Iron Man three. I mean, time was that um, it used to be around the June Juneish period that we would start to get these big summer blockbusters. These releases seem a bit early, right? Well. Actually, Iron Man was one of the films that that helped push the um, the summer, the first Iron Man film. I mean, um, that pushed the uh, summer so-called summer release date early because um, actually, I think that's one of the reason why um, we get Iron Man a week earlier than than the uh, the rest of the um, the rest of the world because um, America doesn't celebrate May Day holiday. Mm. They don't have a Labor Day, um, and essentially, they want to start the summer season in May. It's they don't want to send out a summer film in April. It's it's very much like a psychological thing, I think. Mm. Um, which is why they, they 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 held Iron Man three until the first weekend of May. Um, and here's because a lot of places in the world do celebrate May Day. That's probably why we got we got Iron Man a week early because it's to get it in the within the the, the for the holiday weekend. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not complaining. Uh, it's one of the rare occasions when I sort of get to look across the Pacific, at least uh, uh, on the interwebs, at my friends and sort of. Uh, give them a little wave and say, hi, I'm going to the, to, to see Iron Man tonight. And they're all like, what? I've got to wait. Didn't we also, didn't we also get, uh, the Avengers pretty early? Like a we've week gotten, early? we've gotten a couple things. Um, I think we might've gotten Avengers a week early or we got Iron Man too early. Uh, as well. Captain America maybe. Um, yeah, uh, we, no Captain America. We got a month late. Did we? Yes. We actually got it late. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, there has been, a, there have been a couple films that, uh, that they've kind of pushed out 
early. No, maybe it was Spider Man that we got early that I'm thinking of. Yes, yes. But uh, I, looking at the actually looking at the release schedule, I'm more excited about the films in May than for the rest of the summer. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because we have uh, what do we have? Uh, we have Iron Man and we have uh, Star Trek. Um, e- even the Great Gatsby. I'm kind of because you know I I I'm kind of you know here and there about Baz Luhrmann, but uh, we also get Fast and Furious Six. Ah, yes. And the Hangover. We're gonna have uh, to make that a movie night again. I will see. It is an Asian American film, technically. Yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> um, we went to five. We all went to five together. So we didn't. We didn't. Yeah, we did. Oh yeah, the three of us. Yeah, yeah, me uh, and, and Sean. Yeah, yeah, the three of us. Yeah. I think. But um, but actually that week there's actually a real Hong Kong movie that week. Oh. So we Hmm. Well, yes. Hong Kong must have priority. Um, well, that's neither here nor there. We are going to get into talking about our films, Iron Man and Drug War, uh, this week. But first, let's get into a little bit of news. All right. Oddly enough, or appropriately enough, I might say, uh, the news this week starts off with Iron Man news. Iron Man has opened big uh, across Asia, and uh, this bit of news coming from our favorite news site, Film Biz Asia, uh, from Patrick Frader, dated Monday, the 29th of April, um, says that Iron Man 3 has showed its strength with a huge opening weekend in Asia, exceeding uh, 78 million. So, Kevin, any idea how this stacks up uh, accordingly with, say, Avengers um, or some of the previous Marvel films? In Hong Kong, uh, it made 36 million. Uh, over the weekend, which broke actually Avengers and Harry Potter's record. Uh, it, the opening day broke the Avengers and uh, and Harry Potter's record for the biggest uh, non-holiday opening day ever in Hong Kong. Um, it also broke the biggest weekend, I think, ever in Hong Kong. Uh, in China, where just uh, the film just opened today, uh, it made 12 million yuan, which makes it the most successful midnight, um, midnight shows uh, ever in the history of China as well. Yeah, and so it was originally slated for May 3rd to get the China opening, but they've actually pushed it back to today, the, the, the actual well, holiday, right? Here's the story. With Iron Man 3, um, I think what DMG was doing was trying to uh, work out the co-production status, and essentially it was very much down to the wire, where even as of the Beijing Film Festival two weeks ago, no one knew the opening day. Hmm. Um, it was, uh, they, they say that SARF pushed it to May 3rd, uh, which is the end of the, uh, the, the the May Day holiday already. Actually, today is the last day of the May Day holiday. Um, push it to the end of the May Day holiday to give um, Vicky Zhao's uh, film um, a, a sort of a, a, a leg up. We'll talk about Vicky Zhao's film a little bit later. But um, yeah, finally, I think this, for some reason they set it on May 3rd for about 12 hours, um, including Robert Downey Jr. going on Weibo and saying that, yeah, I'm the first to tell you that the movie's coming out May 3rd. Only to be embarrassed about 12 hours later when they pushed up the release date to May 1st. Ouch. Um, so it, literally like like two days ago, by Sunday we, or, yeah, or Monday, we finally knew that it was opening on May 1st. So it was a very, um, it was very strange release schedule uh, in, in China. Well, um, also a bit further in the article from uh, Patrick Frader, it says that Disney reported the film also registered the biggest opening day in Taiwan, the Philippines, Singapore, Vietnam, and Malaysia, so um, doing exceedingly well. Um, should we be surprised, or is this sort of to be expected for a big uh, summer movie, third in this series, and also coming on the heels of Avengers? Well, definitely. I mean, Iron Man is is the really the only character in the Marvel universe that went beyond um, the comic book fans. 
I think. Mm. Uh, the Avengers was popular because of what it was. It bring you know bring all these people together. But if we're talking about all the Marvel films, Iron Man has always been the most popular character, even among the non non comic fans. Yeah, part of me wonders why that is. I mean, so. Uh, Actually, he's the most likable hero of all the all the characters. I mean, Iron Man has the 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 tra- the, the tra- uh, trademarks of a typical uh, uh, um, very likable hero. He's charismatic. He's rich. He's smart. Um, True, and but I I think that if we, I mean, we'll have a chance. I guess a bit later when we see um, how the new Superman film, Man of Steel, does, um, and of course we could compare with other popular heroes like, you know, Spider-Man who aren't part of the Avengers franchise and those films perhaps not doing as well and possibly compare it with the Batman series. I mean, because Batman and Iron Man have sort of similar characteristics. They're both extremely wealthy playboys. Um, they both have, you know, personal problems and issues as, you know, that get get in the way of their being, you know, these heroic figures and they rely um, very much on technology. Uh, as their support system for being heroic, and so they have this this sense of um, vulnerability um, when they are, you know, not able to access their technology. Unlike a character like Thor, or the Hulk, or uh, even Spider Man, you know, because they even have, Captain uh, Captain America, yeah, Captain America, who's got you know he's a super soldier. Um, and so it makes me wonder too if if maybe the millionaire playboy angle is also something that you know because. The, they are not just a hero, but they are a person of, of vast means, and, and this is something that people look up to and, and aspire definitely. to in our definitely. society as well. Yes, definitely. I think um, even if we're going to compare the the Nolan trilogy to to the Iron Man films. Um, the Iron Man films work much better as as, as um, escapism. Hmm. The Nolan films are very dark; they're very introspective, and people know people respect them as you know as great filmmaking uh, more than just more than just um, pure superhero films hmm. and but i think that's also why iron i think on the other hand um iron man connects with a lot of the mass audience because of that sense of escapism that when you see a trailer you know it's gonna be fun you have a rice cracking superhero who has you know uh real cool technology unlike batman who just have you know suit and yeah. and um uh, miracu- you know like miraculous knee braces <laughs> yes <laughs> and, 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 like and, and super back healing power yeah right? super back healing power from push-ups um, or something Yes, he's not about he's not about he's not so much about the cool technology or cool gadget as, as Iron Man is. Yeah, um, and that's 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 an interesting thing to think about too. So in terms of the stylistic terms, and perhaps that's part of the problem why, although some people have said it's because um, they don't have the same leadership on the DC side of things that they've had. They've had sort of this long-reaching vision um, to sort of coordinate these films and 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 get them kind of along the same tone even though you've got different directors like John Favreau um and today's uh Shane Black and um um who did uh uh Thor Kenneth Branagh you know you, you get different directors with different styles but somehow these films all still seem to fit feel like they fit together are we going to get that same sensibility when we see the Man of Steel and are they going to be able to mold that into you know the Super Friends movie or the the Justice League movie as as they would like to. I mean, we keep hearing the on and off again uh, with that particular project. So um, it's hey, been uh, it's oh, yeah. As we were recording, I just got this news coming. I mean, you, we, people will find out afterwards uh, when they listen to the show. But uh, I just got news that on its opening day in China, our man free has already made one hundred million yuan in a mm-hmm. single day. So does that, is, that? That's one of the best. Uh, the, the biggest opening day for a Chinese film. 
uh, or the biggest single day take for a Chinese film was Pain Skin 2, which is uh, our opening day was Pain Skin 2 at 72. Hmm. So there's a hundred million opening day. Just to, just to add is to that, that going to put it in contention with things like um, Lost in Thailand, and uh, or do you think it'll burn out? Well, Avatar right now still leads that 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 mark. So I think what we're looking at um, is whether it'll pass. Uh, I think Word of Mouth is really good, and um, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to do very much better than the films that the the Western films we've seen this year. Hmm. Sure, it's gonna be probably the top performing uh, Western film this year. Easy. All right. Uh, moving on to our next bit of news, uh, Kevin, you have a bit of news about actress Sheree Chung to make a comeback with Pang Ho Chung. Yes. Um, after the Hong Kong Film Awards, uh, Pang Ho Chung actually told the press that uh, actually, just even though he's already de- he, he denied it before, that now he's back. Um, he has his plans to make a third uh, uh, Love in a Puff or a second Love in a Puff sequel. Uh, it's actually back on track. Um, and he, he, he said he will be making a third film after all, even though it's still only in the planning stages. He still has two more films to make before getting to that. Uh, and he, he gave us, uh, and the film will be about, uh, of course, the, the two lead characters getting married and having kids, which means that the in-laws are going to be involved. And um, back then he told the press that he would like Chow Yun-Fat and Cherry Chung to play um, the Sean Yu's character's uh, parents. Hmm. Uh, and Sherry Chung, the, the, the press has been asking Sherry Chung. Uh, she still makes um, appearances uh, at various um, events. So, say like a cosmetics brands, you know, press event, yeah. she would show up to these things. And uh, the press asked her the other day uh, whether she's um, looking to make a comeback, and she actually uh, says that she loves making films. And which um, I think some of the press has already taken to um, to think that she's hinting a comeback. Hmm. And, or that she's hinting that she's interested in doing the, the Pang Ho Chan film. Uh, even though she said that she, she would like to make films uh, with more positive messages, but this is a very this is her first the first time that uh, Cherry Chung has mentioned anything regarding making films again. So this is a very uh, interesting uh, development. Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to see her come back. I, she, I, she was always uh, one of my favorite actresses uh, back in the day, especially when she was doing some of the more lighter comedy stuff that she did when she was first starting out. And I'm very excited. I mean, the fact that if this project goes ahead and if uh, Pang Hoshan does get everyone she wants, um, this will be a re- uh, 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 Autumn's Tale reunion. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, but what are they going to call it? Love in the Bump? Uh, well, <laughs> in, in Chinese, they've called it the... Because uh, in, in Chinese, the film is named after their characters. Yeah. So it will be the, their two characters plus family. Mm. So it'll be the family of the two characters. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the English name would be, but yes, it's it's going to be a uh, quite an interesting. Uh, I'm I'm really looking. For, I mean, Pao Chan isn't going to be working on this project until the end of the year. He said yeah. uh, it won't be shooting until the end of the year if it's going ahead. So um, we're going to have to be. They're they're going to keep teasing us for the rest of the year of these things. And I guess uh, we'll. Does keep, it? You know. Is there any indication of of where he'll go with this? Will he go back to the mainland, or would he possibly go overseas? Uh, he or would he come back to Hong it? Kong? He didn't mention it, but it depends on what his theme is. I mean, mm. the the theme of the, the the second film is very much about, uh, and again, this has to do with drug. With the film we're we'll talking about today, it's all about Hong Kongers um, reconciling their their need to go up north yeah. to make a living. So it depends on what his theme of the third film will be. But I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to Hong Kong. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm reminded of the ending of uh, of. Um the movie with uh, her and China Fat and Leslie. Uh, Once a Thief. Once a Thief. Yeah. Love the ending of that. 
which is uh, actually her, la- her, 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 her last film that, yeah. back in 1991. Yeah, so she's been gone a long time. Yes. All right, uh, moving on, another bit of news from Film Business Asia. Um, this little bit of technical news um, about uh, Kathleen Kennedy. If you're not familiar with who she is, she's been long associated with um, working with Steven Spielberg um, and also George Lucas um, over the years in lots of different capacities. Um, if, you've, if you've seen you know, any of Spielberg's productions, you'd see her name attached in some way, shape, or form. Um, and she's now in charge of Lucasfilm, basically, if I understand the hierarchy correctly. And um, in a recent uh, in in a recent keynote speech that she gave, she said that basically they are looking to expand the role of Disney and Lucasfilm in China in terms of collaboration. So uh, this article is called "Kennedy Seeks Disney Expansion in China," also from Patrick Freider, uh, dated the twenty first of April. So it's a couple weeks ago. Um, but interesting stuff in here that she points out, um, and uh, they, there's a there's a point mentioned about uh, uh, where they've pledged money for the Sichuan earthquake, which is nice. Um, and she talks a little bit about um, her first trip to China back in 1985 when they were filming uh, Steven Spielberg's movie Empire of the Sun. And I, as I was thinking back, I was like, wow, that really was a long time ago. Um, you know, and that was, uh, you know, Batman, right? Uh, who was the, the star of that? Christian Bale. Yeah. A, a very young Christian Bale. Yes. Um, and so this are, but the main thing about this article is it's talking about the, uh, you know, their, their idea that they're going to be doing joint ventures, um, in China and, um, you know, working with effects companies in China as well. So I'm wondering if this means that, uh, you know, potentially we will see, uh, you know, Star Wars 7 made in China. Um, <laughs> because it says, you know, Lucasfilm cemented its visual effects packed with Beijing-based provider base effects. Um, and, I mean, wasn't Lucas always about ILM, you know, for doing their visual effects? So is this going to be a shift in terms of, you know, doing their visual effects? They, they are following uh, the, the, the pattern of a lot of American effects company, which is um, move their base to Asia for, for cheaper costs, yeah. infrastructure and, uh, and staff and everything else. So, um, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a little bit of sort of heady technical-based news, but uh, if you're interested in sort of, you know, following where some of the production aspects lead, I think you'll find this little bit of news interesting, and especially if you're a Disney watcher or a Lucasfilm watcher, you might want to head over and check it out. Uh, all right, our next bit of news, also from Film is Asia, um, dated from yesterday, or actually today, this uh, Wednesday, May 1st, from Stephen Kremen, uh, talks about the film So Young, doing uh, very, very well, and this is the directorial debut of actress Vicky Zhao. Um, the article says that it's been breaking the 2D box office records in China, although I think Kevin, uh, with his uh, iron little bit of breaking Iron Man news, we need, we need like a breaking segment, right? Uh, 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 you know, it's of, totally useless because no one listens to so, us live. Yeah, sort of, sort of a breaking news uh, segment. We'll use Michael Wong here. I'm pleased with the outcome. Yeah, that'll work. Um, this one. Fire. Yeah, that's hot, right? Breaking yeah, news is hot. Yeah, yeah, breaking news. So, um, but anyway, this film has been doing uh, very, very well. It's Vicky Zhao's uh, sort of debut as a director. Um, 
I'm not sure is she actually in the film or not, but um, it does feature some people that we've seen before, like Mark Chow, uh, among others. It says uh, in the article from Stephen, it says the film stars Yang Xisan as a young woman called Zhang Wei, who is juggling her relationship over the years with two men played by Han Gang and Taiwan's Mark Chow. And basically it takes it takes place in the 90s, as I understand it. And it starts out like when they're in college. And um, according to this article, 90 minutes of the film uh, are spent on the student years. Uh, and then it shifts the last 40 minutes. So this is like a two hour and 10 minute film. Uh, yes. The last 40 minutes is the epilogue, which is several years later. And so it kind of, I guess, follows the relationship of this trio. And okay, great. But the thing that immediately popped in my head is, is this the China answer to you are the apple of my eye from Taiwan? Because that seemed to be the same kind of pattern, right? Um, not uh, Well, the, the, the uh, how do I say? But it, it sells essentially the same thing. It's about youth. Uh, even the the, it, the Chinese title is very much about youth. Yeah, right? and it's about youth. It's about kids Nostalgia. going through a, a, a phase in school. And then later, you know, it, it's it's not happening now. It's happening like back in the 90s. It's got well, some okay. real-time events from that period tied in. And then it kind of follows them into adulthood, right? What, yeah, but, but I don't see... But actually, you're the apple of my eyes, not that, that original of a... It's about every other youth film, right? Coming sure, of age sure. film. So, so in that case, uh, but it's very rare, I guess, in China that because uh, usually, you know, it's <laughs> a lot of the art film you see from fifth generation or sixth generation directors about um, them talk, thinking about their days in the cultural revolution, right? Or like living in a rural town and going to a city and how life is miserable in, in the rural towns, right? Finally, you get a, a Chinese film, commercial film that's about youth, that's, that's about um, uh, college days and Things that it, it very much it's it's almost like China joining the Western world mm-hmm. in making these these films that that kind of speaks to people universally. I think um, you, Peter Chan's film uh, American Dreams in China almost deals with similar issues. But um, while So Young is about uh, young love, American Dreams in China is about free people um, chasing their dreams and and making money. Um, it's much more realistic as opposed mm-hmm. to you know much more romantic. Uh, but it's it's very interesting to see China suddenly making these these films that's geared towards a young audience and actually doing very well at it and being successful at it. Um, and of course, the, the the thing isn't just the film doesn't just sell the um, the what you call it, the, the 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 topic, right? It's about Vicky Zhao. Vicky Zhao is extremely popular in China, um, and and her name is as big as the star's name. Actually, actually, if you look at a poster, her name is bigger than her star's names. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's very much about selling Zhao Wei, um, Zhao Wei's uh, directorial debut. Yeah, but, I mean, she she was uh, the co-star of um, Mark Chao in the Taiwanese movie Love, right? Well, yes, but I don't think that's anything to to do. I mean, that's um, Vicky Zhao has been popular for last 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 decade, right? I mean, for a good decade or or about a decade and a half, right? Yeah. I think yeah, she's been around that long, and she's a huge star. And like you said, yes, they they that's probably why they work. Maybe she they, maybe that's why she chose Marchal actually because maybe they they work together on on love, and also Han Gan. Um, he was a member of the Korean boy band Super Junior, and he's also extremely popular among young audiences. So it's again like Lost in Thailand, like um, even a wedding invitation, the bye 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 her and and the Pang film. Um, it's it's about these multiple things coming together to 
and essentially stacking to get bring these type types of demographics uh, together into one. Yeah. And it's a very smart um, business decision, I think, on on part of uh, uh, producer Stanley Kwan and uh, and the people her investors to to have all these elements to ensure that they have a hit. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Are we going to be able to get to see it here in Hong Kong? I've heard, um, according to Apple Daily, one of the local newspapers we're getting here, we're getting it in mid-June. Okay, good. And I look forward to it. Actually, I was thinking about going to Shenzhen to see it, but I don't have time, so I'm actually very happy. Well, because Stanley Kwan's name is in it, is on it, so I was expecting that maybe we'll get I think it. I'm looking forward to the first 90 minutes. I don't know about the latter 40 minutes. I think, I think for, <laughs> well, it's based on a novel, and I think the novel probably deals, I think the novel is very popular, so it deals with that. I mean, um, it's very much like a tempting heart. Or like City of Glass. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've even seen this even in Hong Kong. Speaking of Tempting Heart, uh, have you seen the trailer for uh, Man of Tai Chi? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, the Tempting Heart connection is Karen Mock, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Let the show begin. What is up with that? <laughs> it, I, I don't know why people have such faith for Keanu Reeves making a film. I'm sorry. It, it looks... If they were trying to sell the film with that teaser, they totally fail. I'm sure that it's a it's great and it's going to have really spectacular action, but they're hiding it from us. I they're hiding they're... something. I mean, I I looked at the trailer and I was thinking, all right, Keanu, wow me. And I thought I was watching like a a direct to DVD um, ripoff of the Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Uh, what was it? Uh, Bloodsport. Yes. Right. I, I, it, it's like the, it's like that it's just they're the, the the main character instead of uh doing whatever style van damme's character did does uh does tai chi and they want him because tai chi is supposed to be peaceful they want to make him a killer or something right and i guess keanu's the heavy um uh, i don't know i'm eh. sure i'm sure a lot of fanboys or martial arts fans are gonna i think everyone who complained about the grandmaster will may maybe may find what they're looking for in this film. perhaps I don't know. Uh, it, it could be good, but the trailer doesn't really do it. Yes, justice. if they're trying to sell the film, I'm sorry. A teaser is supposed to, a, a trailer or a teaser is supposed to sell the film. It totally failed. Yeah. That's all I can say. All right. Um, final bit of news: Ip Man is he a man of steel, a man of metal, or a man of iron? Um, so, what is up with the Grandmaster Steel Metal Iron Book? So, this is a, not really a news, but it's a bit of an issue that was kind of popping around and. We were discussing in, in various places and social media circles and things, and um, I didn't even know the difference. I thought there was just steel books, and then I did a little, ah. little bit of research, and I found out, no, there's a metal book, and there's an iron book. And Sir, you um, are... Yeah, it's, it, this, is, this is all kind of nonsense to me, especially having to cut down on my cases because of space here um, after the move, but... Um, uh, and and also I, I'm thinking more and more about cloud libraries and everything, but uh, I did go out and I did get the Grandmaster's metal book. Is that metal it? pack? Metal pack. Okay. Um, and I guess the the difference is basically in the way it's bound and the way that it you know that it deals with plastic inserts on the inside and stuff. Basically, from the bit of research that I did. Um, so can, can you clarify once and for all for the people out there who perhaps have not, uh, not, uh, dived in yet w that this is a metal pack and it's not a steel book or an iron book, right? Iron pack. Iron pack. Um, 
Well, first, I would have to explain uh, what a steelbook is. A steelbook is actually a, a company. Steelbook is actually a company, I think, in Europe um, that was established in 2008. And they essentially, well, of course, the, the, the original idea is that they make, um, they make metal boxes of Blu-rays, right? Um, and, but the thing is, they have patented their design, and the design you can see actually differences on the side, on the left side. If you have a, Paul, if you, look, if you have like a metal, the, the Grandmaster metal pack, you can look at it as I'm talking about this. Um, on the left, there is a panel um, on a steel book that when you open it, that panel is flat down mm-hmm. on, on, the, on, the, on, a, on a flat surface. Now, a metal pack is essentially a, a different company, a different manufacturer. Their box, if you look at the left, there's a hinge. And that when you open it, it doesn't open all the way because it doesn't have that panel that lies down flat. Instead, the left side uh, of the box is directly connected to the right through a hinge. So you can see that you can never open your, your metal pack. Uh, that's P-A-K, P-A-K, by the way, not, not even P-A-C-K. Um, that you can never open a metal pack uh, all the way down. You notice. Um, so that's that. Essentially, is a cheaper, cheaper knockoff of the original uh, steel book uh, patented design. And the same goes for uh, I think what's it called Iron Iron Book iron or Iron Pack, pack Iron yeah. Pack or Iron Book. And there's also a company called Viva Metal Box whose design was actually sued by Steel Book. Um, and after the Steel Book won the won the won the won the lawsuit, um, their comp their design they essentially went out of business. Yeah. So, so that's what happened, and I can tell you, I guess, within what I know, what I can tell you is that Maya uh, kept telling, um, because I, this is their, Hong Kong's first attempt at making a, a metal box or a, a metal box Blu-ray, uh, at least for a local film, because we've always had a steelbook for Western films, and that's because the Hollywood Home Company, they make so many, they manufacture so many copies, they just spread it out around the, uh, different regions. Uh, including Hong Kong, so you always get essentially the the, the steel books of Western films, uh, a lot of them. But um, this the Hong Kong manufacturer's first attempt at making a metal box release, um, and they apparently what I know is that they kept telling retailers that they're releasing a steel book because steel books sell because that's the original design, that's the original uh, metal box design. So everyone, all the collectors, they want a steel book box, not a uh, not a metal pack, not an iron book, not an uh, Iron Man. <laughs> not a Viva Metal Box, whatever. Um, so, so, I, and I think for them, when they think Metal Box, they somehow just think that Steelbook is the name for all Metal Boxes. So they kept telling retailers, including the one that I work for, that it's a Steelbook. It's a Steelbook. It's a Steelbook. But of course, that's impossible because when um, the rumor is that when, when a company orders a Steelbook, Steelbook, the Steelbook company requires that... Um, the order is at least 4,000 copies, and there's no way that Maya is going to produce 4,000 copies of this. So um, when when the thing finally came out, we realized, hey, that's a metal pack because it's cheaper to produce. Um, you don't have to produce as many. Um, and again, it's cheaper to produce. And I think Maya really botched this release because they want to play into the collector's game, but they have no idea what the collectors want. Hmm. They think that all the collectors just want a metal box, and that's all they care about. But they don't think about the real hardcore collectors who, who when they look at the shelf, wants only that side panel, the yeah. steelbook side panel. Yeah. Uh, so I think they really botched this release big time. Well, you know, if you haven't figured this out already, I'm not a huge, I don't have huge interest in 
the steel, metal, or iron uh, collection. In fact, I was looking at the Hobbit. I'm guessing, because I was looking at the spine, I think it was a steel book of the Hobbit release, which included the Blu-ray, the 3D Blu-ray, and the digital copy, apparently. And I was tempted because I was looking at it, and I thought to myself, you know what? In, you know, four years, there's going to be a complete like, extended edition of this that I'm going to want. That's got all of the movies together, plus footage that didn't get into the cinema and everything, and all this background and interviews and everything else. And I've got, and I'm not going to have room for this, so I'm not going to get it. <laughs> um, and and so that's kind of been the driving force. The reason that I ended up picking up the Grandmaster um, Metal Pack was because I, when I was sit- sitting there looking at it, for first I knew that uh, people were having trouble getting it apparently, um, and the shop I was in had just one right there sitting on the shelf and the price was only like i want to say twenty dollars hong kong more than the blu-ray the standard blu-ray i should ask you to buy me a copy yeah (laughs) because they had a couple more and and, um and i thought all right well i don't think there's ever been another hong kong release film that's been in a metal pack so you know that that's for me a a bit of collectible interest if this is going to be the first one and so that was the main motivation for me getting it. Now, if they come out with more, I don't know if I'd get them all. It depends on the movie, but um, that was my kind of my main motivation. But in terms of the movie itself, we're just talking cases here, right? There's nothing different in terms of the contents, in terms of the length, in terms of the special features when it comes to the actual Blu-ray itself, right? Not at all. Yeah. Um, the same same thing. And actually, I can tell you the, the, the reason for the limited quantity it's not because, uh, I mean, Maya, of course, produced the limited quantity of it, but their condition, and this is actually well-known knowledge by now, um, that, that a lot of the, the shops have told people, and it's been, so I'm not really risking, I'm, I'm saying this cover my own ass. Um, <laughs> uh, essentially, what happened was that Maya required that all retailers, Hong Kong or otherwise, or anyone that is essentially selling this, that they must order six copies of the normal edition Blu-ray for one copy of the um for one copy of the metal pack wow which means that if we want to sell 30 copies in the metal pack we have to order 180 additional copies of the normal edition so i, I love these stores because they don't know what how many they were going to sell um they were really reluctant on on sourcing those steel books uh the metal packs uh which is why so may i essentially created this on their own by 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 forcing this this uh condition on on the retailers hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's the other problem too with this is if you're thinking about uh, you know getting one or if you can't find one, I'm sure there'll be some up on eBay or you know other um, secondary um, supply sites. Is that you know what's what's the likelihood that a year from now we're going to get the Wong Kar Wai redo version? Right, um, and that'll be yet another thing that we'll have to kind of uh, add into your collection. Well, you know, with Wong Kar Wai films, uh, as, as from my experiences of buying Wong Kar Wai films, it, 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 you know, it's really about how many editions you're going to buy. <laughs> you're just going to need a, a complete shelf 
Just for all the different versions. No one right? ever buys one edition. Yeah. You know how many I bought for Happy Together. I mean, when the move for love, I bought the Maya DVD. I bought the Maya um, remastered DVD. <laughs> I bought the uh, Criterion Blu-ray for Happy Together. I bought that ultra super expensive box, and now I have the Blu-ray of it. Um, Chunking Express. I had I had the laser disc, and I had the uh, Miramax DVD, and now I have the Criterion Blu-ray, and I oh I also had the Hong Kong DVD at one point too. So, so all, all you need that. now is a is a room with like three or four different screens, so you can like run the different versions all at the same time. Yes, everyone knows that when you watch one Kawaii films, you know what you if you're one Kawaii fan, you know what you're in for. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I think that's gonna do it for our news this week. Um, did you have any? Did you have any um, thoughts? Because I think we'll come back and and I haven't actually even opened mine. Um, but I do want to kind of open and, and, and watch it. Uh, so I think we can focus on the Grandmasters as sort of a video special, perhaps on our next episode. Um, but did you have any initial thoughts or, or any comments to add to uh, the Blu-ray release versus the theatrical release? Uh, oh, yes, there is a, uh, they, on, the, on, the, on the cover, there's a sticker that says new, new, new sound effects and new, um, new music. Um, and that's true. Actually, this this version, as far as what I've seen, is that um, there's a new version of the end credits that's more refined because the, the theatrical version was done in such a rush that it was only essentially white words on black, as far as I remember. Um, and this new ending credit essentially added back some music credits because um, the film used um, Morricone's uh, music from uh, Once, Upon uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Um, and also, I think there's a new CGI screen in the, in the in the back now as the as the credits come up. So that's one of the new things. Um, uh, a, a Hong Kong film critic also noted that the, um, the 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 piece of music that Juan Juan uses for from Once Upon a Time in America is also extended. Um, I noticed that there's an extra voiceover of a radio broadcast about the uh, impending Sino-Japanese War uh, around the the early parts of the film, and that's essentially. Um, so it's still the Hong Kong theatrical cut with just a few new little bits of stuff added, but it doesn't change the film at all. Hmm. Yes. So that's the, the, the thing. But I also, I should note that um, if you're a fan of, if you haven't seen the film and you're very interested in seeing the film, definitely get this release. But um, as someone that who kind of wants the Blu-ray because knowing the film is so beautiful, the video quality is a little unsatisfying. Hmm. It's a little lacking. Um, to untrained eyes, is 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 fine, but <clears throat> you know, for someone who's seen Blu-ray transfer, who's seen very excellent Blu-ray transfers, uh, there will be some issues, I think, with the video quality. But it's not terrible. But it is a little lacking for what should be. What's a film that was just completed, you know, four months ago? It's a little lacking. All right. Well, we'll try to come back and uh, touch on some more details for the Blu-ray release on another episode. For now, let's get into talking about some films. Alright, so up first for our e-screen film for this week, the latest from director Johnny Toe in Drug War. So, Kevin, uh, I think it's probably better if you start us off and tell us about the Drug War. Sure, uh, Drug War is um, the latest film. From Johnny Toe and White Kafai. Um, I always actually make a point to bring up White Kafai because he is, as I said quite a few times, that 
even Johnny Toast says this, that White Cloud Fight is the brains of the operation, so I have to, I feel like I have to bring him up. Uh, but it is their first, um, their first um, so-called, the first official mainland film. It's produced by, uh, invested by a mainland company and is shot entirely in the mainland. Um, unlike Romancing in Thin Air or um, what else did you shoot in the mainland recently? Uh, um, I think that's it, because this film before that was um, Life Without Principle, right? Yes. Uh, well, I think Linger was part of, Linger was shot in Hong Kong. Um, also, uh, sorry, I'm looking at this right now. Punished? No, Punished was shot in Hong Kong. Don't, don't go breaking my heart. I, Probably shot yeah. in China. Yes. Uh, unlike those two films, uh, there's a completely complete mainland production. Um, even though a Hong Kong crew, uh, Hong Kong actors. Um, the film story is actually fairly simple. It's about a group of cops uh, or a drug enforcement uh uh, agents uh, who are in the Tianjin area, uh, or as the film name calls a Jinhai area, um, they one day they captured a, uh, a a suspected drug producer named Timmy Choi, a Hong Kong drug dealer. Um, they capture him after he crashes his car into a restaurant in town, um, and that's essentially caused by an explosion at his own drug factory. Um, so after after they they capture him. They know that um, he is actually just the beginning of um, uh, of what's, what seems to be a bigger operation because um, Timmy doesn't want to want to get the death sentence, so he he uh, agrees to help out the cops and tell them uh, who the who the uh, brains or the money behind the operation is. So that kind of starts off a journey that takes them from Jinhai all the way down to Guangdong and back up to Jinhai as they um, as Timmy essentially takes the cops around to take him into his operation um and the cops go undercover and 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 essentially trace the bosses step by step to try and take down this this huge huge operation that um that is actually more than just timmy and the few gangsters that he's introduced to um and that's i think that's about as far as i want to say um uh the story so the story is actually very simple um and it's all about really about the chase and it's all about this cat and mouse game that's played between the the captain, uh, Captain Zhang, um, played by Sun Hong Lei, and Timmy Choi, the, the 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 drug lord who who says he's helping them, but actually is up to something more than that. Um, trying to find my notes. Sorry. So just Johnny Johnny told is Johnny Toe taking his brand of filmmaking up to the mainland. I think the people who are kind of uh, not satisfied by his. Um, by his what you call it, his romantic comedies or his romance films, uh, shot in the mainland, we'll we'll find what they're looking for in drug war. Um, I think, especially with the simple story, um, drug war feels more like an exercise at how far he can stretch the the censorship standards uh, in the mainland. Um, in China, something that people should know that in mainland China, cops are are essentially have to be portrayed as as heroic, righteous. Um, essentially morally unbendable almost um, and in the eyes of Sarf they have to be accurate uh, I've heard co- uh, directors complain that they would make write something about cops and they would get um, a note from Sarf saying no oh, they wouldn't be like that in that situation uh, they were more like this and then they rewrite it and then something else is wrong in the eyes of Sarf and they have to write it like that and it's all this about the portrayal of cops they're very sensitive about the portrayal of cops because they, they're trying to sell they're trying to sell this image of a um, of a country that's ruled by the rule of law, 
um, which is really more of a PR statement more than a, a accurate statement in China, I've been told. So, and of course, in the end, they must win. They must triumph over evil. Um, so that's um, essentially drug war is uh, Johnny Toe trying to bend that as far as he can without breaking the rules. The problem is that you really have to know what the rules are to know how far um, Johnny Toe and White Coffee stretch them. Because in the in Western eyes or in, in people who aren't familiar with China rules, they're, they're going to see that. Uh, and I think, Paul, you have many, much to say about this, that that it seems like Toe is pandering or that Toe is playing, uh, is toeing the line. Um, but actually many mainland audience, they see it and they're actually quite shocked at how far it goes. Uh, and we can talk about this a little later when, when Paul, when you bring up uh, what, what you think about why you think Toe is, uh, Johnny Toe and White Coffee are toeing the line. But um, I think that it's actually quite, quite, quite subversive in terms of portraying cops and, and what they're able to, what filmmakers are able to do in portraying cops. I think um, another film that that kind of subverts that is uh, the film Beijing Blues, which won Best Picture at the the, the Golden Horse uh, Awards last year. I think that was also quite um, different than what we're used to seeing from from uh, Chinese cops. And I think these two films will make interesting compare uh, comparison or uh, companion pieces uh, when screened together. But back to the film itself, I thought the pacing is quite excellent. Um, the the film really is focused on that one this one journey, and uh, I think the pacing is quite breathless. Uh, I I think I quite like how Toe play around with these these um, how he places the characters and and how they're they're playing with each other along the way, um, and the characterization is very simple, but very memorable. I think it's very smart in how White Kafai and his screenwriters um, set up these characters. They they use he uses very um, there, you don't really see much beyond what you see on screen, but he uses very um, things to, to make you remember them. For example, there's a gangster named uh, Haha, who essentially all he does is laugh. And, but but you know when you hear when you see Sun Hong Lei uh, playing undercover and trying to imitate him, and he does that same thing, and you remember, hey, that's that's that character. And I think it's very very smart writing, uh, in that term in that way. Um, and also, uh, there's in, in halfway through the film, we're about an hour in. You Hong Kong film fans would be happy to see um, Toe's familiar gang of actors uh, appearing as the Gang of Seven, which is kind of my own name for for them. It's not an official name, but the Gang of Seven. And uh, I think uh, fans of Election and Mad Detective um, will be very happy to see. Will be happy to see these people appearing, not just because it's the Hong Kong stars, but because and I mentioned those two is because these are very specific references to those films. And the Hong Kong, the, the Hong Kong audience that I saw it with at the Hong Kong Film Festival, they were actually they all laughed because they recognized what they were seeing. So, so this film is it, Johnny Toe didn't forget his Hong Kong audiences. Um, at the same time, I think that um, drug war is um, very much a criticism of Hong Kongers who has who have gone up north, and I think it's perfectly I think it's fair game because Hong Kong films have spent years, almost decades criticizing mainlanders who come down to Hong Kong to, 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 to do business. And I think it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fair game the way that Johnny Toe depicts Hong Kongers in this film, the way that the paranoia, the distrust, uh, and the conflict between the, the China and the Hong, Kong, um, the Hong Kong side. And I think it's a reflection of the so-called Hong Kong and Chinese, mainland Chinese conflict um, 
uh, and of course, to, to go more into that, we're going to go into spoiler territory, and I think we are doing a, a spoiler section a little bit later. So we'll go into a little more about that. But I, I think um, it's very interesting of how um, Johnny Toe is, is, is exploring very deep and very broad themes by using a very familiar style in this case. Um, in, in the life of principle, in the life of principle, he used a new kind of style to explore a very um, important theme or a very um, broad theme, which is, you know, money and greed and things like that. Um, and here he's exploring the Chinese and uh, the China and Hong Kong conflict using a very familiar style, an old style, uh, old action style. And I think it, it's a very interesting mix of a old and new Johnny Toe. Um, once again, he sort he sort of doesn't really say anything about the issues, but he holds up a mirror to it to let us see what is happening. And he kind of um, uses this this whole drug dealer and, and police story to 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 represent this conflict. Uh, and you make your own judgment out of it. And I and I really enjoy that. I think uh, it's really more just about more than about uh, more than a cop film. The comedy is very dark, very 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 dark, and. Um, even though the, the 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 final thirty minutes is very violent, I actually giggle quite a bit because it's so creative at how the violent is so over the top and it's really creative at the way that these characters are getting uh, knocked down one by one. Um, so I giggled a lot because of how, uh, especially Lamb Street's character, who uh, who actually spends most of the time speaking English, and I laughed. You know, that's a very familiar kind of uh, Johnny Toast style comedy, and uh, there's a couple of design things that are in the in the gun gun battles there that I, I enjoyed quite a bit um i think the film drug war is more than just johnny toe going north i was dreading that because johnny toe you know john who making a movie that's completely financed by the mainland side i was a little afraid but um it's more than just johnny toe making a film for china audiences i think there's a filmmaker who consciously knows that he is working up north and I think he is consciously reconciling with it during the film or while he's making the film. And the film is open, openly him dealing with that, that kind of uh, that culture shock or that um, difference. Um, if we talk, we want to talk about pandering Hong Kong directors who are pandering to an uh, audience up north. Look at Andrew Lau. Look at Gordon Chan. They essentially don't care about Hong Kong audiences anymore. Uh, Andrew Lau essentially... Um, um, threw all Hong Kongers under the bus with a beautiful life, were very unfair and almost um, biased, almost a, uh, a, a a very shallow depiction of what what people up north see Hong Kongers as, and this is from a Hong Konger, and I think that that's what that's what was infuriating about that film. And Gordon Chan, he hasn't made a film that was shot in Hong Kong since what A One Headlines. Those are really pandering. The Hong Kong directors who are pandering to the north. I think Johnny To wants to stay true to himself. And I think he, he worked very hard to do that in Drug War. And I think that's what makes Drug War, even though it's a entirely it was entirely financed by China, it's even more interesting for a Hong Kong audience and more relevant for a Hong Kong audience than other co-productions. Um, and for me, it's definitely one of my favorite films of the year. And I'm, I'm very happy that I already have three top 10 contenders in the first five months of the year. We have Drug War, uh, Journey to the West, and uh grandmaster and it's so far it's been a very very great year for for uh, i think great hong kong filmmakers so for me it's definitely a see it paul here we go <laughs> let's do this okay um all right i have to admit i do not see the love for this 
And part of me <laughs> wonders if it's just simple Johnny Toe fandom that, you know, has put people um, with the position of having some rose-colored glasses when they view this. Um, now, that being said, I can see that uh, there, there are parts of the work that I can appreciate, but um, I think that uh, this is by far not anywhere near Johnny Toe's best work. And I think that, it, you know, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, his last two films that have been more mainland films than Hong Kong films have been big disappointments for me. And I'm talking about Romancing in Thin Air and this film. And you can send your hate mail to eastscreen <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, well, but the thing is, the thing is, uh, uh, um, I, I am as much as much as you are, and we know that that uh, Ross Chan of uh, LovingStream.com, we all don't dislike the simple Johnny Toe fandom. Right, we think that Johnny Toe fanboys uh, only want his action stuff, and we're totally not with that camp. And I am not with that camp. And even then, I think that this is more than just uh, a film that appeals to Johnny Toe fanboys. Absolutely, and, and I, I'm not criti—I don't mean to criticize you um, or even other people that I've had discussions with this film uh, about through that lens. I just find that I—I'm—I'm I'm an outlier in this particular instance <laughs> when it comes to. Um, like and dislike of this film. For me, let's start with the characterizations. They all came off as flat, singular, monotonous, with very narrow motivations. The worst of which is Louis Koo, who generally I like, but I found his sole motivation for preservation did very little to win support or identification with as a character. And as things progressed, I felt you know, less and less like I wanted to see where th this guy was going. And we, we, we don't even really get glimpses into who this person is other than that he's a bad guy and he's done bad things, right? Um, and and even, even things that they try and hint at, you know, with regard to relatives and things, they, there's like no emotion almost. Uh, you know, they, they try and build a scene uh, around it and and even that doesn't really come across as as all that genuine to me um i don't know if it's, it's a problem with lewis Koo because i i generally tend to like him but maybe he wasn't the right choice for this particular character i'm not sure um the mainland cops though i have an even bigger problem with and this gets back to the issue of sarf because the mainland cops are perfect cops they are robotic they simply continuously go after their job and the main character here of of the of the uh, captain chung um the the main police officer who gets in charge of this case i mean right from the start when you're introduced to him and the first case that he's on he is simply this go ahead move forward ever forward police officer he shows very little emotion other than this is the job i have to do the job and his his compatriots, you know, Huang Yi and, and the other people who are with him, come across much the same way. There are no other motivations. Just get the job done at all costs. But and do you think that that's really the, the inaccurate? I think that's what To is saying about mainland cops. And I think in, in a way he is saying that about, uh, in a way, this is what his statement about uh, what mainland cop films have to be. Is well, that you can't you can't have you can't give them personalities. I think I think he's he's sort of lampo I'm not saying he's lampooning it, but I think he knows exactly what he's doing by by giving more backgrounds about Timmy. As you know, the whole thing about uh, the Lewis Koo character's connection to to the Gang of Seven, you you learn more about that than the cops themselves, and I think that's an intentional choice. Perhaps, 
you know, um, and, and perhaps there's some subtleties here that I just didn't pick up on because I was so busy being angry <laughs> minute by minute <laughs> as I was going through this film. Because part of my problem, and, and I'll, again, I'll get to this and I'll, and I'll try not to spoil anything, but I may get into spoiler territory. So if you don't want to be spoiled too much, um, you, you may want to hold off on things for a while. But, um, it, but part of the problem is 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 that you know even like this character the, this captain you know when he to do his job he ends up having to take drugs himself right and it's a it's a it's an interesting scene and the, the way it plays out i thought oh okay now we're getting somewhere but then he suffers no real serious side effects or consequences right because he's doing it undertaking the job but a normal drug taker um you know or, or, or drug seller, because that's part of what he's doing in, in his initial mission, too, right? Is he's transporting the stuff. And so, you know, technically he's breaking the law. He's, he's breaking the law to enforce the law. And so that gets into real gray territory, you know, infernal affairs kind of stuff, for sure. But they never really get into anything like that. It never delves into that grayness because it's always so black and white. It's always, I'm doing this job. Go forward. Keep going. You know, and, 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 you know, if you get out of line, you're going to be busted, this kind of a thing. And so the, the cops are perfect cops, and then you get the villains. The villains are perfect villains in their villainy. Um, you know, when you meet this gang of seven, they are, again, the, you know, the, the, the way they're structured, the way they're organized, they, they have a reveal, and that was kind of interesting um, at, at first. But once that wore off, it just became you know, these are bad guys, and they do bad things, and, you know, they, they, they're no different, really, than Louis Koo's character when push comes to shove at the end, although Louis Koo is the villainist villain of the bunch, um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that this is a complete reversal from the days when the mainlander who came to Hong Kong was the villain, and it wasn't even that long ago. I mean, I'm thinking back to, I want to think of, uh, was it Invisible Target? Um, the film with Nick Chung and uh, a couple of other young guys playing police uh, officers and like Nick Say, Andy, Nick Say, Nick Jason Say Chan. yeah, Nick Say and J.C. Chan and then Andy On and a bunch of mainland guys were the criminals, and you know that's kind of been the status quo for films and that, that and so I'm not I don't have a problem so much with the idea of the reversal here, but it certainly doesn't do anything to help tensions between. Hong Kongers and mainland identity and a lot of things that are going on in social media flare-ups, for sure. Um, if anything, it's in, probably going to be read on the mainland as reinforcing this idea, you know, and I'm, again, thinking to a lot of the stuff that's popped over on Weibo and YouTube and things like that. Um, that's not really important for this, but um, the, the thing, I, I guess the main thing is it's all too China-compliant, and it really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I do get the points that, yes, perhaps Johnny Toe was pushing the envelope as much as he could. But when I sat down in the theater and I started to watch what was going on screen and I started to get introduced to characters, in my mind I said, this film has one outcome. And that's the outcome that I saw. And so that led me to a complete place of utter disappointment because I thought, if anybody... If I was watching a movie from anybody else, you know, um, Andrew Lau, Gordon Chan, anybody, Jackie, Jackie Chan, right? I would expect to get to that place. 
But Johnny Toe, Johnny Toe is not going to take me but to he, that place. But he did take you to a different place. No, he didn't. He did. At the no, end, okay. no. At the can end, we, can, we start, can, we start, can we start a spoiler conversation? Yeah, now? sure. At the end, we okay. still end up at the place no. that this film has to go, well, and and that place. And then uh, again, we're spoiling stuff here, so you know, <laughs> apologies if you. But you know, you have a chance to turn off. That place is shown in the trailer. Yes. Okay. The, it's okay, shown so, in the trailer exactly the outcome of this movie, and that yes. is the only outcome that this movie can have according yes. to soft regulations right but, now. But also, what? But but the outcome that no one would expect is that all the cops are gonna die. I don't think anyone would expect the cops to die because it's a it's a it's a it's a police trailer, main the mainland, and therefore the cops should win. But no, everyone dies. Well, and that is the surprise. And I think that's quite subversive. But even that wasn't that big of a surprise because because, because it's, it's about because what, saying that. It's essentially saying that this this so-called conflict, it will end up with essentially what Toe is saying is yes. that there's a conflict where both sides will lose. No one wins. Sure, but that conflict, okay, for as as, that... as as much as a boundary pushing conflict as, as that was for Johnny Toe, and again, I'm commendable for him him going as far as he could under soft regulations. And, and all the explosive action that he puts in there, that his styles, that people who love his directorial style will love the action in this film. But it tries to be reminiscent of Expect the Unexpected, right? If you've seen that film, you know, you're, you're getting a very similar scene here, basically. Well, but to, think, to think that it's, it's, a recall, it's not really a callback to, to, to that film as, much, as it is a sort of callback to the nihilism. It's yeah, uh, yeah, the theme the, about it's about the theme. Okay, as expected and expected with the ending. It's about expect exactly what the the title is. Yes, is that life has cer has certain uh, things that are unexpected. Except and this should be called the expect the expected because it's all it's totally not. expected. You know, <laughs> the, it's not expected. The, I mean, the minute who would go into a Chinese audience just wouldn't go into no. a cop film uh, expecting all the cops are going to die. But the minute the minute the bullets start flying. The only outcome you can predict is that there's going to be a high body count and nobody's going to make it, right? I mean, of course, the the, the bad guys are going. Even when you watch an American <laughs> film, American Gangster or something, even when you watch American Gangster with Denzel Watt, you know that the drug dealers are going to die or someone's going to get captured. You know, I don't think that's a China thing. I think the the fact that Hong Kong filmmakers not, not necessarily, not necessarily, not 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 anymore. Maybe at one time, yes, and and sure, all films have conventions you know the hero has to survive the damsel in distress who's about to fall in the pit of fire you know gets rescued at the last minute sure there are lots of conventions but there's freedom for creators to break those conventions but creators in china unfortunately can't break conventions they can only slightly push conventions right well no i would say that that okay china chinese filmmakers making films in china they're 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 constrained by 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 uh, uh, um, SARF uh, regulations, but if you think about it, most films about drug dealers or uh, most biopics about drug dealers in in the U.S. or in Hollywood are the same structure. They're they're bound by genre construction constructions because you start off seeing them be successful. The first half, they're making a lot of money, doing a lot of blow, and then they they have a, a big a big fall from grace. That's essentially the structure of all. You know that drug dealers movies where drug dealers are are the hero always fall from grace they always end up in but the they don't always have to you could but they don't have to you but could, they always are yeah but that's that's so that's so how is that unexpected how is that that expected 
outcome different from because this because a writer could come a writer could come along and say i'm going to write a story about a drug dealer who doesn't go to jail who doesn't get executed who goes on to you know uh live the dream and be successful at the end and he could do it but you sure. can't do it in china right but i think that's really fact more fact than criticism that's a fact you know that's going to happen and essentially to I think it shouldn't be it shouldn't count against the film. It's really just a, a condition that affects the it's a circumstance that the film has to deal with, not a criticism of the film itself. Well, I don't know. It it, <laughs> it for for me it, it 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 was disappointing because I expected okay. I expected more and and did not meet my expectations unfortunately. Um, and again, there's a lot of style here that that is signature toe and. You know, there's two oddball deaf brothers um, that are, what how? you know, that, 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 that are picked up and, you know, a little bit of a connection back to a, a, another crime film, which I think is, is probably still higher on my list, uh, Crazy Stone, um, also depicting Hong Kongers as criminals. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, 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 they try and add an element of cool in this, but it also reflects, unfortunately, a dark stereotype of China in that, all right, you've got criminals in this, and who are the criminals? The criminals are, um, for the most part, the Hong Kong group and these disabled people. And that's also, I think, a bit of an unfortunate association that comes out. And I don't think that was the intention of Toe. I think he was trying to make it that, okay, these guys are disabled, but they're cool and they're kick-ass. Um, but I think that there's going to be an unfortunate association with that because disabled people in China um, is are you know people usually associated on the street begging for money and sometimes crime, and so that's unfortunate. Um, I think there is also a missed opportunity with them because when the action and the bullets start flying with these two brothers, um, I, I they were brothers, right? Was that was that established? Uh, or was, I think so. Yeah, um, it, it's loud. Right, and I was thinking, how much more interesting would it have been to show this gunfight from their perspective with no sound? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think they were I, uh, they were more concentrated on um, because they showed in the beginning. You see these two guys kind of like oddball, oddball, uh, yeah. kind of like goof, goof, goofballs, right? Yeah. And then when uh, they bring I, out the guns, that's, that's, that's that. Like, yeah, that was the, uh, the the sort of the shock element that they wanted to go for, and that worked. But I thought, you know, it would have been really interesting because he's always he, you know, he's he's done a lot of action gun sequences before how how would he approach it from their perspective in this case without sound how would that operate how would you know um and so a little bit of a missed opportunity but not not a huge deal but for me it just i mean I, i again perhaps coming off of of life without principle which i saw as a much more complex look at characters and decisions and and the the after effects of those decisions and not just black and white, but the various less shades of gray that exist, you know, when you're dealing with issues and this just being so black and white and no real gray area for me, it just was like an after school special with some gunplay and you get the state mandated mandated message at the end that crime doesn't pay. So, you know, don't do it boys and girls. I think I think Johnny Toe couldn't wouldn't be able to do what he does without that final scene. I mean, the final scene is almost like a necessary. Oh, absolutely! Necessary no, I I completely agree. I mean, that's the only reason he probably got away with pushing the envelope as much as he did. Yes. Um. But again, I kept hoping. I kept saying, "Wait, you know, this isn't going to end where I th- where I think it's supposed to end. He's going to do something different." But ultimately, 
Um, it, it did go there. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's like Infernal Affairs, only with the mainland ending, right? Because there's, you know, there's no... Maybe they'll release an international alternate ending where Louis Koo suddenly breaks out of his chains and, you know, uh, runs off to the highlands, right? So sort of the anti-Infernal uh, Affairs ending. Um, but, you know, it, is it as bad as all of that? No, probably not. As I said, I know I'm in the minority so far. Most people have seen it that I've spoken with or talked to seem to really like it or love it. Um, I guess my problem is where everybody sees Toe's artistry sort of shining through, I simply see a film that's really coloring by the numbers and for the most part staying within the lines with a few minor exceptions in places. I think it's more important to see what he does within that 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 frame. Everyone knows the frame exists. Everyone knows it exists, and it's more important to see what he's able to do within it. And I think that he he's built. Um, I think it's a very playful exercise yeah. to see how what he can play. And I guess in in the the bigger spectrum of things, I mean, I know we could make the argument that this is a very good film for the Sarft universe for what it does. Um, but we don't exist in a media vacuum. And you look to films like Protege. Um, or the, I started watching Breaking Bad, you know, because I thought, you know, I, I've heard a lot about this series. People rave about it, and it's about a similar subject, so let me see what's going on with this. And you, again, you, you get all these different colors with regard to what's deemed as good and bad behavior, and, and you get this sort of spectrum. And unfortunately, in, in the context of all that, I think Drug War really just, by comparison has this residue of Johnny Toe-style violence um, that gets injected really into the latter half of the film. Um, and it just doesn't, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to, to have the stuff it takes with regard to the characterizations and things. And there's, there, But there was a really interesting point where the, the, right, right before the gunplay starts to happen, right, um, there, there, there's a scene where... Um, where Louis Koo's character ends up going with the seven and I'm thinking, oh my, you know, this is this is what it's all about. It's about, you know, him outsmarting the 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 police commissioner, the the police captain and 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 it this is all a chess game, right? And unfortunately everything kind of fell apart after that. Um so this, the, again, I'm being very critical of the film. There are some really, really nice moments in the film that sort of stick out if you get past um all, all, all of these issues. And, and you know, I, I do think, I, it makes me wonder, because I'm sure that, pe you know, people in China are seeing things that they're not supposed to see. They're seeing, sh you know, movies like Protégé, or I'm sure they've got access to TV series like Breaking Bad, even though it's pirated. Um, and so I'm very curious as to if, you know, the, 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 the broader colors that they'll get in terms of things that deal with, um, you know, breaking the law and and characters that are much more gray than black and white have an influence on them at all. Um, from a production standpoint, you know, this is, again, as solid as any Toe production out there in terms of the cinematography, in terms of the staging, in terms of the, some of the action pieces. Um, and, I, you know, so that in itself is, is already making this a, a, an, an enjoyable experience for that particular standpoint. Um, but again, I, I know I'm probably being too harsh in my criticism, but this film and his last film really show to me a push that's gone away from Hong Kong 
And yeah, there's some throwbacks there to the Hong Kong audience, but it really feels like the same direction that a lot of other directors have started to take as they've moved north in their their attempt to, I don't want to say pander because I don't think that's the right word to use here, but in their attempt to um, play to the China audience, the mainland audience. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> have I, we had like a, a discussion? Have we had dis, a disagreement this big? I don't ever, know. Like, I don't, on this show, I, I think we've disagreed before, but uh, maybe not to this to this scale. Because, you know, because I think what you see is everything that's like okay, well, they're conditions, there are circumstances, but they aren't criticism. Yeah, I mean to yeah. me, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't like this film, okay. but see it. <laughs> so because it's a Johnny Toe film, and it there, deserves to be seen. That that's my my final bit. <laughs> All right, that was fun. Dude, and and any any final final things before we move on to uh, our West screen? No, I th- no you you can you should have to find a word. I think it's it would be I had I had my whole rant and and you have your rant and I think we can we we'll just have to be play Cisco and Ebert and agree. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Do you think we should have uh, had some passion weed before we did the review? <laughs> <laughs> if we were passion, would be like, yeah, whatever. Man. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to do, Johnny. All right. Um, if we were passion, we, I wouldn't know what we're doing to each other. Yeah. <laughs> we'd just be asking the question, where's Simon Yam? <laughs> we're walking around my shirts open and, and underwear and talking about, you know, pointlessly talking about other movies. Yeah. All right, so for our West Green film, we have the third installment of the Iron Man series coming hot off the heels of Avengers from last year. Um, This film being directed by Shane Black, um, who's kind of taken the series in a slightly different direction with a slightly different tone than Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2. Um, This is based on a, a story arc known as the Extremis story arc, which comes from the comic books. And uh, I think that uh, it makes some deviations in terms of that arc and in terms of some of the characters that it introduces that for the typical film fan, um, they won't care. But for comic book fans um, who've read these arcs or who are fans of the Iron Man comic books, they may not be pleased with some or all of the changes that were uh, initiated. But basically, the film picks up after the events of Avengers Tony Stark is now suffering uh, from a a type of post-traumatic stress um, from having been sort of flung into a wormhole and having and basically having to fight aliens in New York. And uh, this starts to cause some friction uh, in his relationship with his uh, girlfriend, Pepper Potts. And he's spending most of his time uh, working because he can't sleep. Um, also at this time, there's been a series of terrorist uh, events, uh, bombings that have been going off by a character known as the Mandarin, who is played by uh, Ben Kingsley. Um, now, the Mandarin is different from the Mandarin in uh, the comic book universe. The Mandarin in the comic book universe was sort of this uh, uh, Chinese, very sort of Fu Manchu-style villain. Um, and so they wanted to sort of reimagine the villain um, for <clears throat> the films. And so he's much more of a sort of an Osama bin Laden 
type mysterious enigmatic leader character. And part of that decision is also reflected in the financing that came in from the film, which was uh, partly financed in China. And uh, that leads to some points we'll cut, come to in, in just a moment. Um, so basically, um, Tony, um, as Tony Stark as Iron Man, um, dis, uh, throws out a challenge uh, to the Mandarin. And as a result of the challenge, uh, his estate ends up being attacked, and uh, he's he's um, he's nearly killed, and Pepper's nearly killed. But they both manage to um, have a dashing last moment escape, and Tony has to find a way to um, sort of get out there and, and stop uh, the Mandarin. But that leads him to uncover some much more deeper mysteries that are at the heart of what's going on. Um, so I think that's all I really want to say about the plot overall, because uh, we'll, we'll get into some spoilerish territory in, in just a moment. Um, but uh, I think just to talk about some of the, I guess, some of the basic nature of the film, um, how do you follow a film like Avengers? Right? Uh, I think that's very, very hard to do, um, because you've had all of these different characters um, build up to this super film and some people are fans of one character over another but I think overall everybody was really pleased with what Avengers did it was big it was spectacular so you don't want to be the film that has to kind of come back to solo mode and, and follow in the footsteps but if any film franchise is going to do it Iron Man is probably the best choice because Iron Man as we were talking about in the news has proven to be the most popular character in terms of box office return and he was the character that's to sort of start off this whole movement. Um, and he's had the most solo films to date. So the film is indeed smaller in terms of scale. Um, it's coming you know, back to being much more about Tony Stark, coming to terms with himself and with the new shape of the world, you know, in, in post the New York events. Um, overall, I would say that in the scope of the three individual Iron Man films, I liked this much better than two, but still not quite as good as one. Um, I think the film does kind of go back and retread a bit of the same material that it covers in one, because again, it's um, um, it, it's dealing with a terrorist group initially, and then um, it's got some issues with Tony and he, you know dealing with his armor, um, and also dealing with his relationship with. Uh, with Pepper a little bit, um, and also trying to sort of refine himself uh, in, in some ways. Whereas in the first Iron Man, it was him sort of coming to terms with himself as Iron Man. Now it's him coming to certain terms with himself as just being a man in this new era of things that include aliens and gods and, and everything else that uh, he has come to learn about, you know, big giant hulks and everything. Um, and so I think that there's, um, there's a lot, uh, going on in the film, um, that feels like familiar territory, but they keep it fairly fresh for the most part. Um, I do think comic fans will be a bit miffed about the Mandarin, uh, and his portrayal, but I have to say I loved Ben Kingsley and I thought he was astoundingly great. Yes. Uh, in in this film, um, both both him and, and Gwyneth Paltrow too, who uh, I think they expanded her role, and I really 
um, ended up loving what she brought um, to the role of Pepper in, in this film as well. Uh, but Ben Kingsley, I mean, kudos to him because uh, he kind of made the film for me <laughs> in some ways. Um, there's a lot of interesting d- ideas here about Tony's um, post-traumatic stress and, and again, the fallouts uh, of the events in Avengers. I think they could have maybe done more with that. Um, there is a point, and uh, some people have said that this is a bit Disney-esque where they kind of bring in a kid. Um, and you know, you could see so there's, there's a kid and a, and a bonding moment with this kid. Um, but of course it's Tony Stark being snarky with the kid and the kid having some retorts at times and, you know, it generates some laughs. Some people might find it, uh, throwback to, um, Spielberg movies, or some people might say that this is the, you know, this is the Disney angle coming through to try and make it a bit more friendly for younger kids, um. But I think the body count is quite high for for yeah, Disney-related films. The, the body count is quite high, but interestingly enough, a lot of the destruction that happens towards the end is a lot of unmanned suits. You yes. Know? Um, so that's that's another point that uh, you know probably deserves uh, some 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 notation. You know, I was kind of like going back to the old days of the GI Joe. Uh, cartoons where you know nobody could ever die but if a plane blew up you'd always see the you know i see the guy the pilot parachute out at the last minute or something i think the the extremist uh the extremist uh idea of the extremist itself is actually quite violent yes yes and and that is true and that kind of gets it back into the terrorist territory um which is one of the problems i kind of have with the the overall plot and i'll get to that um in just a moment when we start talking about some spoiler issues um and so, yeah, there's a China connection here, and that China connection includes two big stars from China, Fan Bingbing and Wang Shuqi, who one does not even get an appearance in the Western cut, and the other one gets like two seconds of screen time and maybe half a second towards the end, if you can watch very, very closely. Um, and a question that uh, I would like to discuss with Kevin after I hear his take on it is why cut them? Why not just leave them in? Um, and I have a theory about that, but, uh, we'll come back and talk about that. There is a post credit sequence too, and we're going to talk about that in spoilers as well. For now, let me turn it over to Kevin before we get onto those spoilers. Okay. Um, I- I'm quite surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised that Marvel didn't try to start setting up for Avengers 2. Uh, especially after that, they, they let, essentially let Shane Black, um, build an individual, I- individual film and independent episode. Uh, essentially, um, unlike two, which was really closely linked to the first film, this one actually kind of worked worked as its own film. I mean, the 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 Avengers, the event in the Avengers is very much in the background of the film. It's very, you know, the, the presence is very clear, but um, it is um, it is very much its own its own episode. Um, but you know, I'm coming from from a place where I did like two for what it was doing for the franchise or what it was doing for the story. More than what it achieved, uh, I think the 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 uh, result was lacking. But I thought I quite liked what it was doing, which is uh, essentially linking the the father issues and and uh, essentially Iron Man dealing with his new um, you know opening up his identity and blah blah. Um, I like Shane Black. Shane, I, I really like Kiss 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 Get Bang Bang, uh, his his previous film, and uh, I thought he brings a great deal of humor as a writer director who knows that um, the humor in Iron Man is very important, especially. Um, it, I think it, it's, it plays a big part of its success. 
and and really he he brings that he carries that tradition quite well and it's a very funny film but not haha funny it's just uh it makes things a lot you know it makes a really enjoyable film the story started a bit weak you don't quite know where it's going i think that it was trying to um reconcile itself as whether to to be a continuation of the avenger story or to set up its own film and it really wasn't wasn't really succeeding at both until the big event happens and that's really when the story starts to the pieces start to fall together and once it did it was really quite engaging i think the villain is really the strongest villain of the franchise i think the portrayal of the villains have always been weak actually in the first two films and um it it, it felt like finally Finally, Tony Stark gets a real formidable villain uh, in this in this uh, this time around, and um, it's the Mandarin and like you said, the extremists and all that stuff. I, I think uh, finally you felt like Tony Stark was being challenged. That there was a chance that Tony Stark could could falter or to could could lose, and I quite like that. Uh, like I said, I like how the Avengers event, event played a part in the world. It's it's a very um, it's a very obvious. Uh, presence like they were saying you know once that once aliens started invading earth you know the the entire world changed so it's like they they accounted all that stuff for you know they accounted all that stuff in this universe and i quite like that even though it's there but it's not really necessary with that said i like the cameo uh there's a cameo from the avengers that i won't tell you from when it comes out uh until the spoiler territory comes out but i quite like it um i thought the way they, they end the film was really interesting it like like I said, it's not a setup for future installments. It's just telling the, the sticking to the Iron Man story, and that's important uh, for the franchise. I think I'm quite amused that they cut the that they lost the China co-production status. You watch it, and you're like, no wonder. There's nothing that takes place in China. It's totally not needed. The China stuff. It's only trying to get into the Chinese market and. Um, shame on Marvel for trying to trying to sneak their way in there. They really should have worked harder if they really want to work in a China element. And clearly, this they couldn't do it, and they lost their co-production status. So, whatever, no ha. Huh? Um, Wang Shui characters, his his connection is actually more suggested than explicit. But I think his role, um, he could have been a bigger role. He could have had a bigger role. Uh, at the same time, um, they chose not to because it wasn't really the key of the film. It doesn't really have uh, it doesn't really bear have any bearing on the plot, so he was rightfully cut, and so was Fan Bingbing. Um, I don't care what Fan Bingbing does in the China version anymore. Uh, from what I've read on um, social media, in Chinese social media, this situation isn't like Looper. Looper, um, some of the scenes in the China version I felt could have been could have ended in the in the in the international cut, um, in a way that they added depth to the Bruce Willis uh, side of the character. Um, to the point where I think it could have added a little more to the film. Here, from what I've heard, is that uh, Fan Bing is essentially carrying or her her scenes have something to do with uh, product placements in China. And that's the only reason why she's still in the China cut. Um, so I don't care what Fan Bing does in the China version. I'm not interested in seeing China version. In fact, the China version doesn't even have the post credit scene that we saw, uh, we see here. So, um, yeah, um, it really doesn't matter. So, in fact, I think Chinese audiences uh, would rather see the version we saw. So, um, so with that said, I think the Chinese connection is totally useless. Um, I, in, for what it is, I think uh, it's a great Iron Man film. I'm also glad that it's not trying to set up. There's no one from Shield in this film, um, which was a bit strange. You're watching. It's like you're thinking all these events happening, and you're like, "What about Shield? What about Shield?" And they don't appear in this film at all. 
So it made me curious of how they were going to start setting when and how they're going to they're going to start setting up for Avengers two. Um, but until then, um, I think this film was very enjoyable as an Iron Man film and not not exactly as a Avengers film uh, or Avengers continuation. Uh, and for that, I, I I applaud Marvel Studios for not not um, for for you know knowing exactly what they're doing. Uh, so definitely see it. I think Marvel fans don't need to be told to see it, and uh, there's better than Iron Man too. So yeah, definitely see it. All right. So let's uh, let me play this. We'll jump into some spoilers. All right. So yeah, if you've not seen the film, we're gonna ruin it for you right now. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the main thing, and this kind of touches back to your point about S.H.I.E.L.D., right, um, not making an appearance in the film, you've got Homeland, uh, domestic attacks going on. Now, I know S.H.I.E.L.D. technically would probably be much more interested that they're aliens, you know, so they're probably super busy. Um, but you've got these supposed terrorist events happening on domestic soil in the United States. Tony Stark goes out. And he basically calls out the Mandarin on national television and says, you're going to come after me. Here's my address, right? And then what happens is we get that first big action set piece, yeah. the, the attack on his, on, his, um, on his estate. And firstly, I'm thinking, all right, he's Tony Stark. Why is he not better prepared for, <laughs> the, for the attack to come? Second, I'm thinking there are major... Uh, bombings happening all over the United States, how come Homeland Security has not secured U.S. airspace? Uh, especially around Tony Stark, since he just on national television, you know, threatened and called out the Mandarin. You know, why is nobody, why, why, why can these helicopters just fly in and start, you know, uh, shooting off missiles and nobody's anywhere even near uh, there's no squadron scan- scrambled. There's no fighters up in there. There's nothing. You know, then these guys can just fly off and and everything's you know not well, a problem. Well, if you remember the second film, he has a, a very uh, antagonistic relationship with the government. Yeah, but still, this um, is even this, though yes, they should have played that up if if that is so. Yes, this is this is a you know this isn't just you know, like I said these are these are major terrorist attacks that have happened already on on soil. So you think the yes. government. Or shield, or or yeah, somebody, yes. somebody would be, you know, kind of, you know, up in arms. And again, I know that they had to kind of pull back and make this more about Tony and Iron Man. But that event, in the context of of the world they're trying to establish, to me, didn't make all that much sense. Now, once they get away from that, I'm okay with you know all the other stuff going on in the film, and and I think it. You know, because you do have you know, some political things going on, and 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 you know, perhaps that's part of the reason. Um, there's there's a bit of confusion with, um, for me, with the character of um, uh, Maya Hansen, Doctor Maya Hansen, played by Rebecca Hall, because like at the end, it comes out that she's a you know she's a villain. She's working with AIM, and she's kind of knows what's going on, but then she showed up at the mansion when it was getting attacked. So, well, because, uh, she, she didn't know there was going to be attacked. Remember when she goes back to, to, uh, what's his name? Um, um, uh, the villain, he said, well, I was going to try and convince him to talk in until your, your attack came because she didn't have any idea that he was going to attack that. I that guess. Place. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was a bit confusing for me at times. Um, 
you know, the figuring out the, the, the sides and everything. Um, the, uh, the, the end of the post credit scene sequence I thought was fun. Um, but yeah, like you was kind of surprised that they weren't setting up. I was expecting to see something from Thor too, which I think is the next thing coming. Yeah. Um, or is that Captain America? The snow? No, next is uh, Thor yeah. coming in Thanksgiving. Um, so I was kind of surprised that they didn't, uh, they, they didn't move in that direction unless there's a super secret film I don't know about. But which, no, I love, which I, I love wish that. you know was happening because they that's what the, they need a Hulk film. I know nobody likes the Hulk, but they need a Hulk film. Well, there will be one, but I love that they they brought back the 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 two's uh, bromance yeah. from the Avengers. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people didn't recognize that that was Hulk. A lot of my audience didn't recognize him. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think most of mine did. I mean, Wong Jing didn't recognize. Wong Jing said it was just some some psychiatrist. It's totally uninteresting. I think Wong Jing didn't recognize that. I think it was Wong Jing didn't see the Avengers. <laughs> yes, it seems like Wong Jing didn't see the Avengers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the China connection. All right, Fan Bing Bing. I know I've read that. Yeah, she's just in there for product placement. But Wang Shuqi does seem to have a somewhat important role, especially at the end of the film, right? Um. So I'm assuming he's, you know, he's got more stuff in there. Why cut it out? Why not just leave it in? If if I am, and I'm trying, to, I'm just trying, I'm just guessing. Okay, what happened is that they've always had that plot point towards the end where yes, they need, they wanted someone to move a shrapnel. Um, and I think when the when the China money came in, or the the possibility of a China co-production came in, um, uh, they felt like, well, we have to shove a Chinese actor in there somewhere. And I think this, that's where they shoved him in. It's, oh, let's make the doctor who moves, uh, removes uh, Tony Shrapnel, let's make him the Chinese guy. Yeah. And that's, um, the, that's the only thing, yeah. Yeah, but there there's some nice connections to uh, the earlier film, uh, the first film um, that I that I liked. And I think, again, it, it, it does um, it, it does work better as a film than, than the second one. But it's really, it's... It's it's really hard to follow the Avengers, um, just in, in terms of scope, in terms of uh, again the events that happen and the way the world changes. Um, the, the 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 true villain here, um, as it, as it turns out, isn't the Mandarin. The Mandarin is just an actor, uh, played magnificently by Ben Kingsley. I love that. I love um, how how Shane Black is essentially telling the studio is like. What the hell? Yeah, the Mandarin would never work in a live action yeah. film. So let's let's play with that, and yeah. I, I love that. And it was great. And um, Guy Pierce was good as as Killian, um, and you know, sort of sort of the villain. And even the interesting thing too is because he says at one point he's the Mandarin, and he kind of rips his shirt off, and he's got all these powers because of Extremis, and um, but he's got these two dragon. Um, tattoos on his chest and at one point he spits fire and i was thinking back to another villain who was i think sometimes associated with the mandarin he was also sort of a china-based villain called fing fang foom who <laughs> was this like giant dragon character um that iron man sometimes fought and i, th I think he spit fire or he spit did he spit acid i i forget but i you know with the dragons on his chest and him breathing fire, i was like oh that's kind of a touch back to another iron man villain kind of kind of interesting um the overall uh final sequence i think um you know you've got all these different suits in action kind of going on um 
and and it's a pretty spectacular sequence but a lot of it i it was kind of hard to follow because there was so much sort of jumping around you never really get a a long good look at any of the suits um for for an extended period um so i was kind of disappointed with that you do have the character of iron patriot who's here who in the comics was a I think he was a rival, kind of a villain. And here, basically, War Machine has adopted the name of Iron Patriot. And I guess that kind of works to an extent in this universe. And they kind of joke about the name a little bit. Um, Don Cheadle has a has a really, really pretty big role here. And uh, I think, I'm you know, I'm pleased with the way that that character has uh, developed over time. And I think they've set this up to, you know, a lot of people have made comparisons with Tony Stark and James Bond. And they want to you know, have the character continue, but maybe not played by Robert Downey Jr., although I think it'd be very disappointing for many fans out there. And uh, like James Bond, it would be, then the, the next person to come in would probably have some big, big shoes or iron boots to fill in this case, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's not impossible. I, I, I don't know anybody off the top of my head that I could think of replacing uh, Robert Downey Jr. right now. Because he is Iron Man. Right? Yeah, I think I, I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. has brought too much to Tony Stark to make him uh, uh, replaceable in any way. Um, so yeah, I, I it's interesting that you said that they've cut the end credit sequence out of uh, the the mainland version, and uh, my only theory on that is because um, um, because uh, David Banner is uh, or Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner is. Um, his character's not familiar with... He's not familiar no, with Chinese No, no, no. He's the Green Hulk. And it's not the Red Hulk. If it was the Red Hulk, it'd be okay. <laughs> I'm being stupid. <laughs> See where you went there. But no, I, th- I think partly the, the, the way they cut that that line is because um, I'm really... I'm probably uh, assuming correctly that Marvel would probably have some kind of a contract, contractual obligation for Shane Black to keep the film within 120 minutes. Hmm. Um, excluding credits, of course, excluding credits. So in the in the final copy of the film, or if you think about it, none of the other uh, Marvel films except for the Avengers have ran more longer than 120 yeah. 130 minutes. So I think it's a contractual contractual obligation. I, I I do wonder one thing, and maybe I, is Looper out on video already? It is. It is. Yes. Does yes. does the because does the Blu-ray or the the DVD have the China version, or is that not available? I have the American Blu-ray, and I think they present some of the uh, China scenes uh, as deleted scenes. Mm. Uh, and there's one, I wouldn't say it's pivotal, but there's a, because you've seen Looper, right? Yes. So it's one of the, one of the uh, deleted scenes is essentially uh, more, you see more scenes between Bruce Willis and his, uh, his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that really added the, the, that degree of humanity. I think that strengthened the Bruce Willis character's, um, uh, his, his motivation because it's strength of his attachment to his wife, mm. that scene. Yeah. So I felt that, you know, I think it could have played in the regular version of the film just fine. Uh, it makes me wonder if we will get on uh, the Iron Man 3 DVD a chance to see these uh, fond- the Fan Bingbing scene and the extended Wang Shuqi scene. I think, I think we would, yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything you want to add into the discussion on spoilers? I think that's it. All right. So, yeah, I think uh, if you're a Marvel fan and you've seen any of the films up to date, we don't have to tell you 
uh, it's definitely a see it. Um, but I'll, I, I do have to say, after seeing, seeing the trailer for the Thor film, the, the Thor sequel, I'm really excited for that movie. I'm not quite looking. I never was a huge fan of Thor, so uh, I, I look more forward to a Captain America. I, I wasn't either, but I'll tell you, I think I'm looking more forward to Thor than Captain America. Although I have heard that Captain America may have, um, the, some people have said it's going to be more Avenger-esque in that it's going to have multiple heroes in it. Yeah, um, I think you can't avoid that. Yeah. So, but, you know, come on, give me a Hulk film already, guys. <laughs> I want my Ruffalo Hulk movie to wash the uh, Ang Lee and Edward Norton taste out of my mouth. I uh, like the Ang Lee Hulk film. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like it. It was okay back in the day. I think I think Ang Lee was do, truly doing something that that was overlooked by viewers. Um, I think it was quite interesting, and uh, yeah, I still like the whole film today. Well, I think uh, it, I, I I for for me the problem with both films was they just didn't the 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 way they did this design the Hulk the CGI Hulk didn't feel quite right, and they finally got it right for me with Avengers. And I would love to see that taken to the next level in a feature-length film. So hopefully we'll get that sooner rather than later. All right, I think that's going to do it. Let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. All right, folks, I think that's going to do it. If you would like to be part of the show, you can hit us up at our website. That is kongcast.com, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. Or you can drop by iTunes and uh, leave us your thoughts over there. We would love to hear some feedback from you. You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash kongcast for the show, twitter.com slash foxlore to um, follow my uh, occasional ramblings. I'm not on there as much as I used to be. Uh, twitter.com slash the golden rock to follow kevin and i would urge you to follow him especially if you're interested in film and news about what's going on in china and things like this and you'll also be able to follow him as he goes off and abroad to Cannes and to shanghai and uh, he's a he's a mover and a shaker and, uh, <laughs> that's all the shaking and moving i'm doing for the rest of the year <laughs> i've used up all my leaves um so yeah please do follow him if you want to Send us an email if you want to send me some hate mail, all you Johnny Toe fans. That is uh, eastscreen at gmail.com, and we would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to send us uh, some questions, some comments, or even a short audio file, um, drop us a line over there, and we'll play it here on the show. We also have Facebook, facebook.com slash eastswests, and uh, we will keep us uh, updated with show times and uh, notes and uh, all kinds of stuff over there. We... Um, have a minor presence over on Google+, Plus, um, and if you are interested in coming to Hong Kong and being part of uh, any of the movie nights that we have here as sort of outings, um, drop us a line over there at Google+. Plus. Uh, you can catch us on Stitcher, listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher, smart radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. 
Additional thanks go out to Rob Grubbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for helping us to arrange movie nights here in Hong Kong. Uh, the K-Man for sticking with me, despite my dislike for drug war. Uh, <laughs> for 145, well, soon to be 146 episodes. And of course, all of you, the listeners, uh, we like that you're out there and uh, we thank you for your continued support of our show as well. Um, next episode, ep- episode 146. Um, what's coming up? What do we have on the horizon? Any uh, We have the films? new uh, Danny Boyle film, uh, Trance. Uh, and I guess we could talk about some of the, the other Asian films that's come my way. Uh, this week, there's a, um, a sci-fi film from Japan, Paul, called Platinum Data that mm. you may be interested in. Yeah, I'll have to see um, if I can get out and see that. Yeah, uh, and um, we maybe, uh, let's see, what else? Um, I could talk about some of the other Asian films, such as uh, Tokyo Family, the new Yoji Yamada, his remake of Tokyo Story, so to speak. Um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what we can talk about. All right, so we'll have something coming up, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next time. See you next week, everybody. Uh-huh.